Massachusetts has rent control on its mind. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu last month submitted a rent stabilization proposal that would cap annual rent increases at 10%, with a whole host of exemptions, and set out legal protections for tenants facing eviction. Of course, Massachusetts banned rent control by a whisker in 1994 in a ballot referendum, and it's been a messy topic since then. It's gaining some popularity in cities like Boston and Somerville, but this is Massachusetts, and that means that state legislature and the governor need to get on board for any changes to the law. During her campaign, Governor Maura Healey said rent control is up to communities to decide, but there hasn't been much appetite from state house legislative leaders. And that's before you get to forceful local opposition from real estate and business groups who argue rent control could strike a fatal blow to housing production. And advocates are saying it's an essential tool to rein in a housing market with ballooning rents out of step with most residents' pocketbooks. I'm Jennifer Smith with Commonwealth Magazine, and we're going to get into this thorny topic today. I'm joined by Greg Basil, CEO of the Greater Boston Real Estate Board, and Rep. San Montano of the 15th Suffolk District. So... Let's set the stakes here. Let's start broad. I was struck by the Boston City Council hearings so far, actually by the amount of agreement that I heard on the scale of the crisis itself. Uh, people are spending much more than the recommended 30% of their paycheck to pay their rent in Boston. Greg, your organization is spending some $400,000 to fight the Michelle Wu proposal. So why shouldn't there be some form of rent stabilization? Or is it this one in particular that's getting you? Jennifer, thank you for having me on the show. Um, we're really concerned about the rental situation in the city. Uh, it's a real, real problem for people. Um, and we have members, a lot of members that would love to be able to produce housing for people you know, in the middle or lower end of the spectrum economically. The difficulty is doing business in Boston is really hard. Our biggest concern, and, and we're an organization that has not only the developers, owners, managers of multifamily housing, but also financial institutions that lend uh, on multifamily housing. They've told us that if we're in a rent control environment, and if there are government price controls in the city on projects, They'd rather be elsewhere. And we're concerned about that because it's not going to solve our problem for the people of the city. That's our biggest issue. I think I think we all are in agreement what the housing problem is. I think it's just philosophy on how we get there is the biggest stumbling block. Do you see any kind of space for something dealing with the concept of how high our rent could go? I think what I'm trying to sort of delve in on is, are the numbers as they're proposed too high for comfort, or is it the concept of any kind of cap? So I'll address that both from a local perspective and a national perspective. When you take a look at the proposal, you would be hard pressed to say that it was not reasonable because, I mean, in fact, the numbers really on their face appear to be. But what we're seeing play out right before our eyes are, is what has played out nationally, proposals that are reasonable, and then the push to make them unreasonable. And that's the, the thing we're worried about. Once the controls and the regulatory framework is in place, the constant push is to crank the numbers down and make it so that it's even more difficult to do business. And that's what's giving a lot of developers pause about doing business in the city, because once it's in place, their numbers are only going to shrink. 
So Representative, uh, how do those concerns strike you? You're a co-sponsor of one of the bills in front of the legislature this session that may or may not make it to a hearing in our in our lifetime. You guys move a little bit slowly over there. But, you know, the question of competitiveness, the question of impact on housing growth, uh, how is that hitting you? Um, well, again, thanks for having us. I, I don't think it's particularly concerning because buildings are exempted and particularly in the mayor's proposal for 15 years. Um, and so when developers are making their pro formas to create housing, they can build in um, those exemptions. Most short-term investors are exiting after five years, right? Um, so we're not capping any of their rent uh, income in that sense. And they can, up to 15 years, they can have whatever rent they want without the government in stepping in and telling them that they can't get there. Um, and by the 15th year, most investors have exited. So then it's just ownership belonging to the small property person. So um, usually after 15 years, if we're only going up 5% um, in our bill or up to 10%, depending on inflation in the mayor's bill, that's most developers also don't build in 10% rent increases to their pro formas. So I think it's not an accurate representation of what's happening on the ground. Um, and we also exempt small landlords. So anyone with six units and under is exempted. So they're not even... Um, like privy to this or they're not they don't even have to participate in rent stabilization if they don't want they don't have to because they're small landlords i'd love to talk a little bit actually about the exemption categories that you mentioned here so one of the things that came up during the hearing and has come up during this debate in the past is you know if there is to be and obviously there's difference on whether there should be if there is to be some version of rent control or rent stabilization how do you make sure that the proposal is responsive to the people that might be most impacted by it so greg what is your take on the exemptions built in, both the 15-year look back and the 15-year look ahead in terms of, you know, rent stabilization exemptions, but then also the smaller landlord units? Uh, sure. Um, roughly, there's 231,000 market rate units in the city of Boston, and about 127,000 of them would be affected by this proposal with the exemptions. That's around 55%. So with that 15 years, uh, what how it would happen, you know, uh, that number of 127 would only grow because as time passed, more would more would fall fall underneath that exemption. Um, in terms of small landlords, I, I understand that, but I think we missed the mark because I think what we should be looking to do is provide tax in incentives and tax breaks for small landlords that give below market rents to tenants. You know, I think that that's the way, for example, and we've seen this story play out, um, blanket rent control like this can often benefit the wealthy. They get into a rent control unit and they don't move because they're paying a lot less rent. Um, it, you know, we need to do something that's going to help folks that are at the lower end of the spectrum economically. For example, people like the rental assistance program was, was a great tool that was used during the pandemic to help those that are, were economically unable to meet their, their payment of, um, you know, their rental obligations because of the pandemic. Could we do something with the rental assistance program here instead of a blanket rent control to help those folks instead of a blanket? Um, so, you know, the, the, the small, I, I understand the small landlord exemption. I just think that we could target it and we should focus on tax breaks. This is a lot more than just rent control. This is the just cause eviction uh, proposal as well. So this would, you know, totally change the law for, for eviction in Massachusetts 
um, you know, it would change the law for evictions in Boston as opposed to the rest of the Commonwealth, which would be a little bit of a burden if you had two different two different sets of laws on the books um, here. I'm so glad you brought up the question of uh, just cause evictions as well, because that kind of takes you into the thorny question of rent control versus rent stabilization measures as a package. And so it's often discussed in terms of not just what's the reasonable amount that you should be paying, but also has it been paired or should it be paired with ways to also kind of increase tenant protections there's a long complicated history specifically with boston trying to move rent control or uh, move housing protections up the ladder to the state house so representative what feels like a fair combination of factors and packages when you're thinking about rent stabilization rather than purely rent control yeah i don't think that there's i think that the just cause evictions are outside they're not part of any of these rent stabilization packets. My understanding is that they're separate they're, bills. They are. They're separate bills, but they're being talked about um, as kind of a package. When the question has been coming before the mayor and the administration, they've said not only are we proposing this, but it's also kind of going hand in hand with just cause evictions. Okay. And I, I just understand that they're not yes, one. Absolutely. They're two separate right. things. Right. Um, so they're not the same package. So we shouldn't worry about rent stabilization measures. Also... I mean, I'm very much in support of just cause eviction, but they're not the same package um, together in a bill. Sec and just quickly, I just want to the rich folks part. It's, you know, that's pretty anecdotal. There's no data behind it that rich folks are taking advantage of rent stabilization anywhere. Um, so, I mean, we can all have anecdotal stories to rent stabilization, but it's not the case. Um, as far as the two going together, I, I think that, you know, Rent we're not trying to tell anyone what their rent is. They can propose their rent. And if they get a tenant on the market, beautiful. You have a tenant. And we're just saying that while you have that same tenant, you can't increase the rent more than 5% in our bill or up to, to 10% with the 6% CPI for the mayor's bill, right? We're not telling you what to set your rent at. You can get a tenant at whatever rent you would like. Um, and then you don't even have to adhere to that under the, if you're a small landlord, right? Under six units. So I think that, you know, it's it's just a way to provide stability for folks who are tenants um, to be able to have predictability. It also, you know, we're not really providing this. It's just a tool in a bag that goes with zoning, um, affordable housing preservation that's already existing, um, tenant rights. It's an opportunity for folks who are here to continue to stay here. It's not going to we can't go back and lower the rent. So it's not going to bring more low income folks into the community that comes with development. Um, which is why that still has to be a part of the package. Jennifer, can I just throw in one point? Oh, please, um, please. If, if you take a look at the mayor's proposal, section three of the mayor's proposal is entitled Just Cause Eviction Protection. And there's language there. So, I mean, it, I think it's worthwhile to take a look at it because it is part of what Mayor Wu is proposing. To that point as well, when you're thinking about the just cause eviction standards, but also uh, to Greg's point and uh, Representative, you know, you you countered this this assertion in terms of the risk that wealthy people would be, say, for instance, holding on to a uh, rent control department for long periods of time. Uh, there is also kind of the question of whether or not there should be means testing in some way when it comes to rent stabilized proposals. Uh, start with you, Representative, because you have a bill that doesn't include that sort of provision. So how have you kind of conceptualized means testing as part of this conversation? Sure. So my perspective is folks who are already, I mean, you can say like someone who can afford market rents is already kind of wealthy um, comparatively to the rest of the Commonwealth. Um, so, you know, we're going to benefit regardless. 
in that sense, like wealthier, like, you know, I bring in 73, you know, I'm middle of the road. <laughs> um, so I think putting means testing in would just slow the process and make it more, more bureaucratic. Um, and that would actually, I think, be more of a burden on landlords than not having means testing and just this, you know, being able to rent to to who you'd like to rent to. So we don't, I don't think that's a provision we need to add. I don't think that we need to be um, monitoring it that much. Um, and, you know, the newer units, which if you're wealthier, you're, you're probably more likely to want to have a nice, like a nicer unit that you can afford to pay for, they're going to be exempted from the rent stabilization bill anyway. So it, it, it doesn't seem to be too much of a, of a worry. And I don't think we need means testing um, when we're implementing rent stabilization. And Greg, would that be something that might address some of the concerns around the higher income components? It, it, it could help. The difficulty I think you might have is from a just an operational perspective, how can the government do that? It's just it's just a lot of moving pieces. What kind of staff would it cost? Would it take? What would the cost of that means testing be? It could be really. I mean, every every bit would help, but it would be real. I think it'd be hard to do. It, it could be really costly. I think somebody would have to really take a hard look at that. And we should get into as well the municipal versus state landscape here. This was obviously banned by kind of narrow margins in a 1994 ballot referendum, and it's been a hot potato to say the least ever since. Uh, And the proposals kind of coming at it, if they've risen up through the city level, acknowledge that it is ultimately on the state to decide whether or not they're going to be changing the law. So how are both of you conceptualizing how much of this should be down to individual municipalities being able to choose what level or if rent stabilization works for them as opposed to a more unified state policy. Um, Representative, uh, my understanding is that if rep- if uh, municipalities through your bill decided to opt in, they would be looking at the 5% rate. Yeah, so both of the state house bills are local options. Um, so it's kind of like, so we would approve it broadly and then in, each municipality would have to decide if they would like to participate. Um, so, because Massachusetts is a home rule state. Um, so ours is capped at 5%, um, a little more prescriptive, but we feel like 5% is generally more, is more than the 3% cost of um, living increase that most folks get. Um, and generally when there isn't quite as much inflation as we're experiencing right now um, is a decent amount to cover the taxes and the increases in utilities that landlords tend to pay, which is generally water, um, though some pay heat. The bill from Representative Connolly um, isn't prescriptive and allows for municipalities to set their percentage at whatever they'd like. Um, but again, it's a local option. So even if we do pass this, it's your town or municipality has to approve it, just like Boston is going through the process of getting theirs approved. And Greg, your organization has said, you know, if the Boston measure moves forward, there is a plan to kind of bring this to the state house and pursue kind of opposition to rent stabilization and rent control measures statewide. So how are you thinking about the Boston proposal as sort of a canary in the coal mine um, and also the existing bills that would give any municipality perhaps the option to tailor their rent stabilization proposals? I mean, I, I think that, that local option rent control could turn into utter chaos from a statewide housing policy perspective. Um, you know, you'll see communities out there that will look to enact it as a, as a shield to prevent developers from coming in and building the multifamily. So it almost will cut against what housing choices and the MBT communities 
um, legislation tried to, is trying to change. Um, so that we're really concerned about that because you know this is a regional solution for housing. Everyone's talked about it. You know, Boston has done a great job in terms of building housing over the last 10 years, as opposed to a lot of the other communities that surround it. We need to have a region build more. And the mayor's even said this, you know, we're working with regional mayors, local mayors to try to build more housing because the burden can't fall all on the city itself. Local option rent control, I think, would just really complicate things here and make it really untenable. Uh, does that seem fair or accurate to you, uh, Representative? I'm not quite sure how it would hamper production um, of housing if they are exempted from for first the first 15 years. And, you know, after that, they would just be getting profit um, in the same way. So I'm, I'm not quite sure I understand the argument in hampering production. Um, most landlords or developers, you know, they all have to borrow money to get their housing built because it's so costly. So very few folks are paying out of pocket. They have to go from short term investors who will give them higher risk Um loans that they have to pay back quickly, which is why they tend to have higher rents at first. And then they pay back their longer term, more stable loans over the next 10 years. And then they're making profit in 10 years, usually um, on their building. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite sure I buy that argument. Um, but also local, like, you know, I think Boston, maybe Cambridge, Somerville, maybe a few other um, places would enact it. I don't think it would be a broad kind of thing. And and if developers no longer want to build in Boston, we do need more units in Boston, but we also need units across the board um, in the rest of the communities. We need communities outside of Boston to be building housing as well. Um, and that requires motivation. So it's a two and. We do need more units in Boston, yes, but we also do need more units across the Commonwealth for folks to live in. So the representative raises uh, an interesting question, which is if there was some sort of impact on, you know, local interest in building in places with rent control, that there might be then more of a push to places that don't. Greg, is that something that makes sense to you, uh, that this might, for instance, mean that if there was less interest in building in Boston, there might be more interest uh, somewhere else? Assuming those other communities don't adopt rent control as well. And then it's almost like when the flood comes, the water has to go somewhere. So you'd have a bunch of barriers and dams being erected all around. So I don't know where the water ultimately ends up happening. Remember, when somebody builds something, you know, if the housing provider builds something and somebody lends on it, even if they sell it and exit, there'll probably be debt and, and money lent on that asset. And at some point, it's going to be capped by the government. And that lender is going to fear the government changing the rules on the midstream. And they're going to get stuck with an asset that's going to shift radically in value. Um, we've seen rent control across the country lower the value of buildings. Um, so, you know, that's that's a concern. It seems that this has been touching on for both of you sort of the buzzword of the Healy administration so far, which is uh, competitiveness, the question of how any given proposal, whether it be taxes or housing policy, will impact Massachusetts's ability to be competitive in the New England area specifically. Am I right in thinking you two probably disagree about the impact rent control will have on the ability to be competitive as a state? I think my position is kind of clear. I, I think it would be a problem. I We're the biggest city in Boston and New England. We're the, you know, a, a huge economic driver. I, I We're near a huge airport. Um, I don't think it's necessarily going to have that huge of an impact on our competitiveness. Um, I just, you know, there's people across the Commonwealth who have no home, nowhere to go, no prospects, can't afford down payment. Every time your rent goes up more than a 5%, more than 
and I've experienced this, you have to move and moving is incredibly prohibitive and expensive. It's first, last, broker, maybe security. That's a lot of money. So we're perpetuating poverty when we ask folks to move because we put up these huge rent increases. Um, so if we limit the amount that a rent increase can go up, we are allowing folks to start to build wealth and that builds a stronger commonwealth across the board because we're allowing folks in communities to say, I have a stability in this community. I can stay in this community. I don't have to save up thousands of dollars and put it into moving into another place that might jack up the rent a lot again. Um, and I also want us to remember that, you know, buying more than one property and having an investment home is an investment and investments are risky. And maybe the government changes the rules around you and you've decided that you wanna buy this other place um, to build wealth for your family, or you wanna buy this other place because in time you want your kids to live near you. That's um, totally, that's, you know, that's very much within the purview of the American dream and the ability to like live in this, in this um, state and commonwealth, but it also is an investment and some folks have no housing. So we have to really, I think, balance the capitalistic um, economy argument of it and then like the moral values argument of it. How do we provide housing? Um, and then how do we also balance the need for folks to um, build wealth through real estate, which has traditionally been a really stable way to um, increase your income. So it's, to me, I, I, I don't foresee it having a huge impact on our competitiveness because we're an amazing commonwealth with many protections. We're a great place for folks who live outside of the, um, like the general norms of society, whether like as it's perceived um, greatly. So, you know, for LGBTQ folks to get married, for folks who are looking to, um, a, you know, have a in vitro fertilization for folks who are looking to seek medical treatment. We're, we're an amazing, fulfilling commonwealth and housing will not. Having a control on the amount that your rent can go up for units after 15 years of development and excluding six unit small landlords, I don't think is going to impact our commonwealth's competitiveness. I think the governor got it right with her budget, with um, some of the things that she's proposed increasing the deduction for renters from three to $4,000, the senior circuit breaker for elderly that are struggling with, um, with higher property, uh, property taxes and housing costs going up from 1,200 and doubling it to 2,400. You know, those are the things that we, we definitely, you know, can do. Um, and I think that that will help, um, you know, ease some of the burden. I mean, you know, I, I respect some of the things that the representative said, you know, I just think philosophically, we look at the Commonwealth as a different place, um, you know, in terms of competitiveness, I think, if I wanted my company to grow here and prosper, you know, I would look at the tax structure, I would look at my employee pool. And unless we create more housing, which rent control is not going to do, um, you know, we may see our people, we're already seeing our people leaving, population is starting to fall. Maybe I relocate my business to Florida or somewhere down south. Um, costs will be less. You know, winters will be a lot easier and, and, and people's dollars can be stretched further. So I look at competitiveness that way. So we don't have all that much time left, unfortunately. This does tend to fly. Uh, but I did want to touch on right before we concluded what you're watching specifically for in the Boston rent control debate. Uh, obviously, we are recording this on Thursday, and that means it is before the second hearing, uh, which will mostly involve a lot of additional public testimony on the question. Uh, Representative, let's start with you. You're sitting from the State House, but you're also a Boston rep. So what are you watching in terms of the response and any possible changes to Michelle Wu's home rule? Um, you know, I think the mayor started a great conversation and put out 
you know, her proposal, and it's now up to to the constituents. I know what my constituents and and Jamaica Plainfield because I've gotten an overwhelming response asking for support in this. Um, but you know, I can't speak to the constituents across the board. So for me, it'll be really good to see who shows up to provide testimony from other parts of of Boston and to see what the sense is across the board because I can just speak from my community. And Greg. I think Councilor, Council President Flynn raised it last week, and I think this is the most fascinating part. Usually home rules are drafted, you know, specifically as proposed by the community. This one isn't drafted that way. This one basically is amendable on Beacon Hill. So no matter what happens at the city council, this bill will go up to the hill and could change radically. So, you know, I think just think it's fascinating because we have this desire for home rule, and then we also have this somebody else could decide how to govern a particular jurisdiction. So I just sort of find that fascinating because this whole thing could change and the whole argument there could become moot. Okay, well, that's all the time we have. So thanks again to Greg Basil, CEO of the Greater Boston Real Estate Board, and to Rep. Stan Montano of the 15th Suffolk District for being here. And to our listeners, we'll be back in your ears next week.